University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Now from time to time, we humans get things wrong. I know, shocker, right? Who would have never thought that the human race would get anything wrong whatsoever? Take, for example, uh, the summer I spent in the country of Sri Lanka. I learned two altering uh, facts about the banana fruit. Uh, first, the fruit actually grows upside down uh, in the way that you don't expect. The second thing is it's not really upside down. It's actually growing right side up because we actually eat the banana all wrong. When most of us grab a banana, usually we, we grab that tall stem part at the top and we peel it down, and unless it's ripe, then you battle with uh, it tearing off before you get to the bottom, or those little stringy things that you have to pluck out that get caught in your teeth. But you actually know that to tear a banana the right way, to open it the right way, you're actually supposed to pluck it from what we would call the bottom and tear to the top. In reality, we've just learned a backwards way of eating banana from the way that it was actually intended to be. So from going right side up to upside down. See, this is the invitation of Jesus. Through Jesus, we are invited to see the world and live our lives in the way that God intended for us. Forwards or right side up. See, the more and more we study the words and actions of Jesus, you see that he is taking this world that is actually upside down, and he's turning it right side up in the way that God intended for it to be. And Jesus teaches and shows us that our world is backwards and upside down, and he's inviting us into a course correction. Or to use the terminology of Jesus, he's inviting us into a magdicum, a kingdom that is actually forwards because we are living in a backwards kingdom. And today we're beginning a new series, Kingdom, through Jesus. He's telling us through stories of how we turn in the right direction. Now you've probably heard this terminology, kingdom, or you've heard me use the phrase kingdom of God a lot. So when we hear the word kingdom, there's a lot of things that come to mind. We think of kings and queens, knights and castles, swords and suits of armor, riding on horseback. These are just the beginning of things that we think about when we hear that word kingdom. And when we project our concept of a king sitting on a throne onto God, sometimes that's not the best concept that comes to mind because we think of all the domineering and manipulative and narcissistic kings we've seen in our history. So what is the answer of what the kingdom of God can be? Well, that's not a simple answer because plenty of people have written 500 plus page dissertations and endless books about trying to understand what the kingdom of God is. Kingdom is a central theme to the New Testament Gospels. The word is basileia, which is used over 120 times in the Gospels alone. So just to give you a little contextual comparison, the two dominant words we use as Jesus followers are the words grace and love. But did you know that combined, those words are only used 35 times in the Gospels? Compared to the 120 times Jesus talks about the kingdom. And it's not only this, but Jesus talks about the kingdom. He never really gives us a clear definition of what it is. 
He taught us about the way of the kingdom. He taught us about this new way of living our life, of forgiving those who have wronged you, of loving your neighbor as yourself, of providing for the physical needs of other people, of serving your enemies instead of hating them. And Jesus showed us the power of the kingdom by the way that he heals the sick, by the way that he casts out demons, by the way that he turns five loaves of bread and two fish into a meal to provide for thousands of people. And even when we see this phrase, the kingdom of God in scripture, we often confuse it as something else. You see, like Matthew and Mark, Jesus would often use the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Well, is Jesus talking about heaven? Well, no, not necessarily. Actually, the terminology of kingdom heaven was just a a substitute for the name of God in the first century. People didn't often use the name of God, so they used terms to describe God. And often one of those terms we use to describe God was kingdom of heaven. But Luke uses the terminology of kingdom of God. These are synonymous terms together. So what is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Well, if you've had kids at some point, then you probably watched Sesame Street. And there's a song that maybe could teach us a little bit about trying to understand what the kingdom of God is or isn't. Let's see if we can cue this up. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the other by the time I finish this song? So to give us a better understanding of the kingdom of God, we need to think of it like one of these things is not like the other. The kingdom displayed and talked about by Jesus is something different then we can begin to wholeheartedly wrap our minds around. You see, for Jesus, is consistently shifting our understanding about life and truth and living when he talks about the kingdom of God. He talks it, about it as if it's this separated, set-apart thing from the kingdom of this world. And in the Gospels, Jesus has, and he continues to shift our understanding of the world as we know it, as he continues to change people's lives. And we've seen evidence of this by the way that Jesus encountered people. And after being in their presence, they were never the same again. Whether this change came by healing or compassion or teaching, people were transformed by Jesus. And if we haven't been caught up by now, there is no boundaries. There is no person out of bounds for the kingdom because we see that Jesus consistently broke bread and surrounded himself with society's outcasts. So the kingdom of God is for all people. It's forming this broad and diverse and unique community. Therefore, the kingdom of God is open and compassionate community of people. And yet we still cannot grasp what the kingdom of God is. But where is the kingdom? And can we see it? And can we touch it? Do you remember uh, back in the day, there was this thing called magic eye. It was the craze in the 1990s. Typically, you saw uh, them sold in malls. Uh, what they were was, it appeared to be a, a 2D image, but if you looked at it just right, it had a 3D image that was hidden inside the picture. And I remember trying so hard to find that 3D image, and there was all sorts of theories of how you could actually see what it was. 
And I remember being told that if you crossed your eyes and then looked at it, you should be able to see it. Or if you looked at it from the corner of your eye, you should be able to figure it out. Of course, what always frustrated me as a child was that my older brothers always could see it, but I never could actually see what was in the image. You see, this is what Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God, where you can see it, where it's located, he often talked about it in the present and future tense, as in it was something close to us here but it was also something distant in the future. And this is the age-old adage when we talk about the kingdom of God. You see, some would argue that the kingdom of God is this thing that we experience when we die, that, that God brings all people unto God's self. Oh, sweet Beulah land, as people would sing in that song. As if the goal and point of salvation comes down to getting into heaven. But is that what Jesus is talking about? Is the invitation of Jesus just a hall pass into eternal life? Did Jesus not bring good news of transformation here in the present to experience life here in the full? Could it be that the kingdom of God is here, but also yet to come? Or to borrow a quote from one author who said it, say it again, eternal life is less about the kind of time that starts when we die and more about the quality and vitality of life now in connection to God. Eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts now. It's not about life that begins at death. It's about experiencing the kind of life now that will endure and survive even death. See, just Jesus frustrates the matter because he talks about the kingdom of God as if it's something here and yet to come. How do we understand the kingdom? Are you frustrated yet? Do you remember reading Aesop's fables as a kid? Take, for example, there was the boy who cried wolf. It's a story of this boy who kept coming up with tricks for his family to tell him that he was in trouble and it was always a fake emergency. So when reality does happen and he's surrounded by ravenous wolves, nobody believes him when he cries for help. Or one of my other favorite Aesop's fables uh, was the mighty lion that was taking a nap and he catches the mouse in his paw and the mouse begins to plead with him not to take his life and the mouse has a sense of grace letting him go and later we learn the lion is caught by a hunter's net and there the mouse finds the lion and begins to chew through the net setting him free. See, these stories were developed by an ancient Greek storyteller conveying the powerful life lesson. And Jesus does the same thing in something called a parable, which draws us to focus to this new series. That Jesus often tells stories to explain what the kingdom of God is like. And take, for example, in Luke chapter 13, verse 18. It says, when Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew up and became a tree, and the birds perched on its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Have you ever asked somebody a question only to get an answer that has nothing to do with what you're actually talking about? Doesn't it seem like that's what Jesus is doing here? He asks a simple question, what is the kingdom of God like? And Jesus proceeds by telling two stories. How does that make any sense? You see, in the verses leading up to our text, 
Jesus had been confronted by the Pharisees who so self-righteously were indignant that Jesus healed a woman on the Sabbath day, a day of religious rest. And Jesus reminds the religious leaders that they too have worked on the Sabbath by untying their donkey and taking it to the water hole, challenging them with the question of doesn't God care more for this woman who has been suffering for years? And so in this exchange with telling these two parables, he tells this parable of a mustard seed and yeast. Okay, what does that have to do with the price of eggs in Australia? You see, we humans are simple creatures, and when we ask a question, we really do want a simple answer, except Jesus intentionally chose not to give a simple answer. When asked a question more often than not, Jesus either responded with a question, or he responded with a parable, a story. As one person put it, storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world. Consider the nature of a story. It's for the hearer's amusement and entertainment. A story also challenged hearers on assumptions, to challenge an individual to think deeply and maybe differently. A story gives hope to the hopeless. It gives vision to the blind. It gives imagination to those facing obstacles. And Jesus told parables for all of these reasons. Jesus told parables to inspire the imagination of the kingdom of God. As one author put it, sometimes reality is too complex. Stories give it form. And not everyone, when they think imaginatively, Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. You see, when we want God's kingdom to look and feel like what we want, we we lack the imagination necessary to understand the creative and world-altering and right-side-up of the nature of God's kingdom. So what imaginative inspiration for the kingdom of God is Jesus conveying in this parable of the mustard seed and the yeast? Did you know that it would actually take around 750 mustard seeds to equal a gram? See, a mustard seed is this teeny tiny little thing. It's not exactly the most fashionable seed to pick out to compare the kingdom of God to. And yet Jesus, in his parable, says that this teeny tiny seed, when planted into the ground can grow up into a tree that even birds can perch on. And then he adds to the parable by telling a little bit about yeast. Yeast is old, fermented dough that added to a lump of dough starts this leavening process. Jesus compares the kingdom to bread that rises larger than its size due to this tiny, little, insignificant thing. So what is Jesus saying? I think Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God seems small and insignificant, but it's quite powerful and irrepressive and transformative. Just look at the nature of Jesus' very ministry. Here is this unknown healer and teacher from this backcountry hick town called Nazareth. And he goes forth and he begins to amass this following. Lives are transformed and it ends up in this place called Jerusalem. And because Jesus, this insignificant person, begins to challenge their very system, we learn that the religious leaders and the Roman officials try to murder him. And yet even in his crucifixion, we find the transforming power through the resurrection. You see, the kingdom of God, when mixed into people's lives, is powerful and irrepressive and transformative. Hurt and physically broken, Jesus healed them in the name of the kingdom. Demon-possessed, they were released as freedom 
through the captivity that now they were no longer bound from the kingdom of God, marginalized by society and religion for your mistakes, your ethnicity, your gender, your social status. Jesus invites you into the inclusive nature of the kingdom of God, bound by the exclusive nature of religious practices. Jesus opened your eyes to see God's true definition of what faithfulness and holiness truly looks like. And yet, like the verses leading up to this parable, an insignificant woman that is ravished physically and emotionally, communally and spiritually through the kingdom of God, she has brought healing and wholeness. You see, the kingdom of God is like a little bit of love mixed into people's hearts. And that love spreads and works its way through people until it transforms their lives, their relationships, their community, and the world. During the beginning days of the COVID-19 crisis, there was this shortage of yeast across America. In fact, in a four-week period, there was a 410% sale jump in yeast. The yeast producers reported this unprecedented demand that left uh, almost two months of shortages on the production line. Professional uh, bakers and, and bread manufacturers were reporting that they were running out of yeast in order to provide for the American consumer. And, and what was the cause? Well, when people went to the store and stocked up on toilet paper and hand sanitizer and soap and cleaning products, they were also buying yeast because one of the number one hobbies that people formed during the COVID-19 crisis was making bread at home. Just imagine a thousand of people making all different sorts of sourdough and focaccia bread all at home. See, another way to translate the words of Jesus, personalize and invite us into seeing, is that the kingdom of God is here in our midst, but the kingdom of God is also here within us. He uses the word entos, which means within, inside, among, within your soul. Other times that Jesus uses the word entos, he, he's telling the, the Pharisees that they're like hypocrites because they make sure the outside of their cup is clean, but the entos, the inside of their cup, is full of corruption. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is not seen always externally in signs and end of time watching, but actually the major work of the kingdom of God is at work in your life and my life. The kingdom of God is within us. It's in our midst. The kingdom of God lives in you. The kingdom of God lives within me. It's not just about God there externally in the world, but God, the God of the universe, abides within you right here, right now. Stop and think about that for just a second. The same power that breathed life into existence, the very same strength that bore the cross and the resurrection from the dead. The same courage to break down the religious and social boundaries, the inexplicable power of love resides within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Consider your story for just a second. Can we begin to see how the kingdom of God is at work in and through your life? Can you begin to consider that although you might have a story of, of brokenness or shame or self-reliance or confidence, the kingdom of God can begin to work in you in small amounts like yeast. And this yeast 
will work into every fiber of your being, transforming you from something broken into something whole, from something self-reliant into something wholly trusting in God. Can you consider not the amount of how small you see yourself, but in your feeling of insignificance, God sees great significance in you because this small thing can be transformed into something wonderful. Because God takes our smallness, our insignificance, and transforms us into something better and whole and new. And that is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a mustard seed or a ball of yeast. It's like people, like you and me, who experience the radiant love and power of God. So today we begin a journey through the parables of Jesus and the gospel of Luke. And as we've seen through the parable of mustard seed and yeast, through, the, through this story, Jesus is turning a backward world in the right direction. May we come to see that Jesus desires to course correct in our lives and in this world. May we come to see that the kingdom of God is not just this distant, far-off thing that we experience when we die. No. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is within you now. The kingdom of God is at work in each of our lives in small ways that seem so insignificant, yet the kingdom of God is powerful and irrepressible and transformative. How might you experience the kingdom of God today? We invite you into a time of silent contemplation, reflecting on the words of Scripture and how God is speaking to us this morning.